Welcome back to another episode of the NES Experience. We are live and at the NES Sports Performance Training Facility in Hamden, 2155 State Street, for all of those in the know. We decided to get together. You know, we're going to try and do a few more in-person podcasts this year. So that's a goal of ours. Feel like they just flow a little better. And we're just going to try and get right into the episode this week. Uh, We're going to be talking something that I have a decent amount of experience with. We're talking about high school, deciding if you want to reclass or not, you know, and just kind of doing the right things to, to get your scholarship offers and all that kind of jazz. Also, before we begin, shout out to all of our listeners in the Netherlands and Ireland. So, yeah, topic near and dear to my heart. I transferred, I reclassed once, transferred twice, three times, kind of. It's a little iffy. I didn't go to three, I went to three schools, was about to go to four, um, but four turned into three. So, yeah. Um, been around all over the place. Got a lot of experience with transferring. Ned, you're a advocate for reclassifying with athletes. Is that correct? Yeah, we've done a podcast or two on reclassing, and uh, it's an extra year of development. In 12 months of development, you're older, everybody else is younger. This is about hitting performance measurables and dominating competition. So it puts you at a competitive advantage. But, you know, when you are going through this process or you haven't gone through the process yet, you know, athletes, there's a variety of reasons why they want to choose the school. Now, the good news is you've decided that you want to reclass or transfer, but the process of trying to select where you want to go and the reasons for that um, and the, the expectations once you make the decision – it can get jaded a little bit. And so, I mean, you've gone through the whole process and I mean, ultimately the end goal is to put yourself in the best position to succeed with a competitive advantage to get a college scholarship offer or play at a academic school that you normally wouldn't be able to get into, but because of the sliding curve for athletes, the the ultimate goal is to, move on to the next level, but you know, what type of path are you going to do the right things to select the right place? Once you're at the school, are you going to do the right things to make sure that, you know, you get to your end goal. And I think sometimes parents don't know what to do and kids don't know, you know, what's important and what the prep schools are looking for and what the colleges are looking for. And I guess we should just kind of talk about, what you should want when you're in all these situations. Um, and we'll look at high school level and college level, basically more, mostly high school and college level. But, um, I think that there is a generally healthy, good approach to it and optimal things that you should do or look for. And there's other things that the athlete or the parents might think are important, but I don't personally believe that, they are important, so. Yeah, it's, I, I guess to start, we should probably talk about how you find yourself in that position. Uh, it's not because you're doing poorly in school. 
Uh, we're a sports performance training podcast. We're about competitive advantages and maximizing your genetic potential. And it's just a fact. A lot of schools down south do it. A lot of athletes down south do it more so than up here. But if you reclass and transfer schools and you, you know, kind of repeat a, a high school year, then that's just another year for you to develop. So you're probably interested in playing college sports. You might be a little underdeveloped. You're like, ooh, I need a little bit more time. You know, you might be a year younger. I was a year younger than people in my grade. So that's kind of another reason why I did it. Um, and yeah, you've decided, hey, I'm going to try and put myself in a better position to get a scholarship offer to go to college. So I'm going to go look for a place, you know, to go to school that is not currently the place I go to school now. Because the only way to reclass at your current school usually is to, you know, you, you fail back. And then that's not good because that messes with your eligibility. So what are some of the things you think that are that would be important for athletes looking to to do that, to reclass, to get another year to develop for college? Let's start with the where do I go component. So, you know, you're a football player. Obviously, we're always going to reference baseball, football, basketball, but this applies to all sports. So let's say you're going in and you're currently a linebacker. Um, you want to be a quarterback and you have to make the where you want to go. You ultimately want to be a quarterback. Your current high school doesn't, you know, sees you more as a linebacker, but you're hell bent. You know, you're a quarterback. And then you start interviewing these schools and you're going to go and they say, you know, they're like, what position are you? I want to be a quarterback. Well, will you play other positions? And the answer is what I believe is you should always be open to playing anywhere. The important thing is to get on the field, build a resume and perform at a high level and get accolades and, and make your name big and marrying yourself to one position makes you less, uh, less attractive in the recruiting process because, you know, football coaches want you to be able to, I mean, play multiple positions and yes, it might be ideal to only be the quarterback, but I mean, there's always, and quarterback is just a tough topic to bring up because there's only one quarterback on the field, which is why I tell people don't be a quarterback because there's way more of everybody else on the field. It's super competitive. And who wants to go through all that when ultimately you just want to get a scholarship and play at the next level. But the whole quarterback thing is, is kind of different, but you, you might be, I'm a wide receiver and I know I'm going to be a wide receiver. Well, you might need to play linebacker. You might find out that you're a better linebacker. And most importantly, you need to get on the field to be able to do something. And the more you're on the field, injuries happen, opportunities come up, and you continue to, you know, you still, you got to be open to doing multiple sports because you also don't know how you're going to get recruited. You could be a wide receiver your whole life when you get to your dream school and then your college says, we want you, but as a, as a DB, are you going to tell the college? Now, the wrong answer is you, you don't tell the college, no, man, I'm just a wide receiver. You'd be happy for your scholarship offer and you take the, 
you know, the, the job, because that's what it is. But if you only play one position, once again, we're throwing quarterback out. Um, these are just things that come up, but I did have an athlete that was a linebacker that switched over to a quarterback, but the end result is he made the right choice. He came and he became the starting quarterback because he believed he's a good quarterback. And now he's going to be a quarterback in college and everything worked out. Okay. But he wouldn't have taken his ball and ran if he wasn't immediately the quarterback that stepped in there. He just, he was confident in himself and he knew it would all work out and everything worked out. And I knew everything was going to work out, but they're going to, the, the, the coaches don't want to hear, um, I am this position in this position only, and you are not guaranteed to be given spot and time just because you pay money. You get money, you're entitled to your opinion, but ultimately you're not guaranteed anything. And I think kids want these guaranteed contracts like they're, you know, NFL players. But honestly, if you get paid $60 million, they're going to put you wherever the hell they want to put you. So it doesn't even work like that, you know, at the highest level. So what do you think? Yeah, um, it is kind of funny because, you know, uh, sitting across from you is the guy who is like, I'm a quarterback that I'm not really anything else. Although when I did get to my last school, uh, KO, I, I did play tight end a little bit my first year because uh, I was like, yeah, I, I played every special teams. You know, I was down to, to do whatever I could do. Um, and I also had to compete, you know, when I first got there for the quarterback spot. Like, there was a starter there before already. So I was down for the competition. There are no guarantees for me. If you're a quarterback specifically, if you want to go be the quarterback and you say you're the quarterback, then you back that shit up. And that's what you did. You went into camp. You already told the story last time. I think how you went in the locker room, stared everybody down, kicked the water cooler over, and pissed everybody off. You had your taste swag going, you went in and you showed that I want to be the quarterback and you're the quarterback and it worked out okay and you moved on. However, uh, if you go in and say you're the quarterback and you come up, you're 160 pounds and you're going to die if you get hit and you can't hit a barn and you don't get the job, you're not allowed to bitch and complain. And I don't want to hear you bitch and complain about the politics of the only reason why this quarterback is starting is because they don't like my kid and yada, 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 because most of the time it's not necess- it's not a political thing. The coach puts the guy out there. I've seen many examples where the parents complain and they don't necessarily have a justification. You know, sometimes there's small, it's, everything is case by case. I mean, most of the time it's just a tough thing, which is why I don't recommend trying to be a quarterback or trying to be a shortstop in baseball. It's just like, Oh, you got to be the most athletic guy on the field. And once again, there's only one position and then there's you, you have to have the speed to be able to have a shortstop in the range and you have to have the pop, you know, even though you don't have to have as much pop at that position, it's like, Oh great. It's like, go try and be the five tool player or you can just be a pitcher and throw gas. And you can eat fucking Cheetos and it doesn't matter because if you throw 95, uh, you know, or 100, it's king. The path to get to the next level, if you choose a quarterback, that's the football version. And in the baseball version is if you choose something like shortstop or, you know, that position, you have to be ready because you're going against other people that are fast with good range, which have good pop for their position. They have all these things, and there's there's less of these five-tool players, but are you that five-tool player? Most people are deficient in something. 
And if you are the starting quarterback that comes in, are you big enough to take a hit? Uh, do you have the leadership component to be a leader? Do you have the arm strength to be able to throw the ball 70 yards? Do you have the open field ability and speed, which is a new thing, to be able to be mobile in the pocket to be a good pairing for the new system? Do you have all those things? But good news for the the, the guy who I'm staring at who's 6'4", <clears throat> 240, but might have been bigger than that at some point in time. He could have been a lineman. And he's a. I'm just staring at a juicy D1 lineman. I I played at 225 to 230 pounds. Just throwing that out there. Not gonna make this all about me. But that's the weight I wanted to be. I didn't want to be a huge dude. I get it. Just wasn't wasn't for me. But people wanted to put me in different places. So yeah, I decided I was like, hey, I'm going to uh, go look for for other schools to go to. So had to go look at like the new England prep schools. Uh, you talk to coaches and it is kind of like a, a mini recruiting experience. Like, you know, in the way that the college recruiting experience is, is there there's entrance exams you got to take. Like it is a rigorous process to get into these places, but a lot of the times they're also looking for athletes too. Cause you know, having a good athletic program is important to these, you know, New England prep schools. Like it's important to, to public schools too. Like people take pride in their athletics. How did you ultimately, when you went through this process of what school to go to, why did you pick KO as opposed to others? What was your process? And if you could do it all over, would you change what yeah. you did? So my, for me, like Whenever I left a school, I was told by the other school, like, oh, like, you come in here, like, you'll compete for the job. Like, we'll see what you got, but you got to be open to, like, if you lose, like, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll put you someplace else. I'm like, that's chill. Um, so the first place I went to, like, I didn't get any reps. Like, they threw me in at the end. And then, like, in a JV game, they're like, all right, go out there, quarterback time. I was like, the fuck is this shit? Like, this is whack. Um, second place that I wound up at, well, I guess third place because second place I transferred, went through another New England prep school, went through their training camp, did quarterback reps, and then their coach said, so we want you to come in on third downs and throw. But we're going to have another kid play on first and second downs when we hand the ball off. And I said, strategically, I don't think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and they said, well, that's the way we're going to do it. And I said, uh, that's fine. I'm not coming anymore. I'm going to go to some other place. And by the time we're done, we're going to beat the shit out of you. So that happened. And the reason why I went to KO is because they said, hey, come in. You can compete for the job. But if not, you know, we don't have a, a strong roster. We're going to need you to play. You're a big dude. Like, we need you on special teams. You may have to play a little tight end. And I said, as long as you actually give me a shot, like, we're good to go. Sign me up. If you're good <clears throat> and you believe you're good, it'll work. And, and that's what it comes down to. Like you do have to have the goods to back it up and you're only going to get like one real shot. So you have to make the most of it. You're, you're not really going to get two. So the whole reclassing transfer thing, it's about finding a home and the, the home you want to find is people who are going to support you and help you achieve your dream of like making it to the next level. So you want people who will give you a chance, but will also hold you accountable and like help you 
grow and achieve those dreams. Uh, that was that was what I was looking for, and I feel like that's usually the right way to go about it. I was never the person who was like looking for a guarantee to go play like quarterback. Like I wanted a job competition, and when I got that, like you you run with it. Whenever someone gets it and they run with it, like there's usually so much work that happens behind the scenes of just like training, competing, failing. But once you really like seize that opportunity and run with it, like you're not going to want to leave that place. Today, people kind of look like, oh, I'm just looking for a place to like go play. And it's like, I get that we all are, but there's no guarantee for that. Like ever. Yeah, I mean, be confident in your abilities and just go show out. Generally, everything will fall in place. And um, But it's a very hard thing to... You're putting a whole bunch of trust in your whole career, you know, into this coach. So it's a, it's a big decision to make. And, um, yeah, go in and go in and make things happen. But also go in and, you know, the coaches like team players. So you don't be a me guy come in and make, you know, allies, not enemies and, uh, try and have, although there's personal gain in this whole thing, try and have a good, you know, team approach. Don't be cancer. Nobody likes cancer and yeah, build your resume. And typically if you work hard and try and get along with the coach, everything, you know, falls in place, but, um, NIL, NIL. Yeah, no, we had NIL too. Uh, I mean, I'm all for athletes getting paid. Like, I think it's great. Like, they shouldn't get suspended for getting paid. They are getting paid before. It, like, fucking since, like, the 60s or the 70s with SMU. It is what it is. But I think there are also a lot of players that are like, if I don't get, like, the looks or the touches that I think I should have gotten, I'm going to go somewhere else. And when you're just bouncing around from place to place, it's, like... Again, like I did it, so it's hard for me to like talk bad on anyone for doing it, but you got to be doing it for the right reasons. And I feel like, you know, the right reasons are usually like developing your play, getting on the field, helping the team out. You don't want people who just like are in it for themselves. That never goes well for the team. Usually they're team sports. Once you get, look, high school is a little bit different. Once you get to college, I believe you should, I'm pretty anti transfer portal because I mean, it's just, it's a big line of stinky poo that gets spilled down to a lot of my high school kids. They're sucking up, um, scholarship offers. Colleges now are just, they're, they're taking transfers. They're worried about the end result, which is ultimately winning games and at that level championships. But in the process you're getting, you know, they're, I don't know how much they're looking into the character component of the people that are transferring. Why do you, you're basically okay with all these kids, you know, taking their ball because they didn't get their way in their current school. And then, you know, building your team with a whole bunch of people that didn't get their ball because they're, I don't know. It's just, I'm old school and, and outdated, but People are just all about prematurely jumping and trying to go to the next best opportunity. Nobody, you know, I just, I, there are some circumstances and I think athletes should have the ability to get out and transfer because of the, but it's not monitored. I think there's more times than not, it's people taking their ball and leaving 
as opposed to an actually real genuine reason where it really makes sense, you know, to transfer. I think it's just abused. I don't know if there's limits. Is there limits on how many times you could transfer? I, I, I don't even know. Um, I guess we're not experts in the field in this, in yeah, this topic, but it doesn't I mean, feel like it. Cause I know there's, uh, I know there's one guy from Miami. I forget his name now. Or he was originally with Miami, and he bounced around all over the place. I mean, it's at least, I know people have done it three times. I don't know if anybody who's done it more. But shit, you only got four years in college. But now because of COVID and all of this stuff, I have more sixth year and seven year guys than it's never happened to me before. So COVID was a big reason for that. But this trend between red shirting, you know, medical red shirt, covid transfer i mean these kids are really soaking it up and it's just excessive in my opinion yeah and not to to beat a you know horse to death or beat a dead horse more or do both of those things it's another like another reason why you almost need to reclass in high school because you look at teams like georgia or michigan teams that are like legit you know college football top of the the totem pole they have six years, five year, you know, seniors and they're playing and the guy who's going to come up after him, he's going to be there for four or five years. So you almost need another year or keep, as much time to, yeah, to keep, to keep up, up with up. them. Yeah. Cause you'll have to compete with them, you know, as a freshman, when you walk in the door for the first time and it's, you need as much like to, you want to make an impact your freshman year of college as much as you possibly can. Like, you want to start off on a good foot. And you could be, if you're 17, going into the freshman, if you're a young, if you didn't reclass and you're young for your age, you're basically barely 18 years old and you have guys and you're playing against grad transfers now that, you know, were 22, 23. Um, the one, wasn't the Georgia guy, the 26, 26. Yeah. You're an 18 year old, barely. Well, let's be real. You're still kind of a boy. You're an 18 year old boy going against a, a 25 year of 26. That guy's 26. Yeah, he has 26. How does that happen? Yeah. Well, that's the whole thing. And like, again, do you, you can reclass twice if you want to, like, oh, or no, you, you can, can reclass and you could do a PG year. Like I know I, I went to school with a kid on my team, he was 25 his senior year, and he 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 was four years in school, so you can re- hit the eighth grade reclass with a high school reclass and a PG, so that gives you seven years, and then I'm sorry, yeah, seven years from 14, and then so that's plus three years, and then hit a, a freshman red shirt with a medical red shirt. A transfer, and now you're 25, 26. And you're, I mean, as I said, this is, it's just all about excess because I'm the biggest reclasser ever. But, um, you know, I do, I think I have a 25 year old seventh year senior right now. But it's, dude, and there's, you know, off the record, it is tough being 25 years old and, and, playing on the field with 17 year olds you're a team so this is part of the negative aspect of taking it to excess like your relatability when you're 25 with an 18 year old i mean you got some of it because you're still living the college lifestyle but 25 years old you're kind of a man that is full-blown madness 
Yeah, but I mean, it, it does go back to like, at the end of the day, like these colleges care about winning. So it doesn't matter. Like they'll, it's whatever they have at their disposal, they'll use. So it, that's what it is. And if, you know, you have more strength at 25 than you did when you're at 23, like that's you're, all the more power to you. You got guaranteed man strength at 25, whereas you could barely have hair under your armpits going yeah. into college. I have kids that are barely have hair under their armpits who are, who are going to college. Plus just like the mental, you know, time you spend with the game and just the, the knowledge you soak in year in and year out. I you mean, got it's amazing. six years of development from being a student of the game versus, you know, somebody, yes, that might have only been playing because there's kids that only play two years in high school and they're young for the age they don't reclass and they go right into college and play as a freshman so no there are a lot of advantages it's just i don't know there's a line i don't know what the line is but i think people are pushing it it's forcing you to have to reclass in high school to kind of keep up with you know the level of talent that's out there being played in college for a variety of reasons pretty interesting yeah, no, absolutely. And just with, you know, I mean, COVID did kind of make it a reality with having extending the lives of these college careers. But, you know, it, you still have the effects of it with athletes in high school trying to compete for those scholarships and someone in the transfer portal. So it's really just about putting yourself in the best position you can be in while also not not being so unrealistic where you're like, oh, I'm guaranteed to just come in here and play. Because that, that's never the case. That's a lie if someone says that to you. Yeah, no, I agree. Give the coaches a break. And, I mean, because I'm around some of these high school coaches, boy, it's a tough job. I would, You could not pay me. You could pay me, be like, net a coaching job, 500 grand a year. I don't want to deal with it. I mean, I might deal with it for 500 grand a year if it was like high school. But let's be real, that ain't going to happen. But you got a, the team, something like, you know, teams are minimum, whatever, 15 and high end, 80 to 100. It's 100 kids. They all have goals. They all play. You want to try and make everybody happy. And there's a whole bunch of tough decisions. There's hard reality, you know, to, to you know, the dad that thinks their kid is D1 and they're not necessarily D1. You got to be the, you should be the one. I mean, it doesn't always happen. You got to be the one to tell them that. And like, there's one ball, there's limited amount of positions and you got to try and make everybody happy. And it's tough basketball, one ball, only so many shots. Hopefully you're on a high powered offense. Hopefully wherever you go, you're on a high powered offense to turn over as many plays as possible to create as many highlights as you can to try and make everybody happy. So I feel for the coaches because it's, I mean, I kind of try and make everybody happy in my current career, and it is it is really, really hard to do. It's really impossible. But for them, and you get held down because there's things that are out of your control, like you know whether it's your facilities or your ability to have the school help recruit or, you know, the, the type, depending on your geographical location, what type of talent are you going to get? There's just so many, I mean, it is hard as much as I get frustrated at, at sport coaches sometimes. Um, it's, man, it's a tough, it's a tough gig to, to try and make everybody happy and get everybody where they need to go. So, 
No, for sure. Coaches are, you know, probably the hardest working and some of the most underpaid. Well, unless you're, you know, a top level college coach, uh, people then you're are overpaid. Yeah. Really overpaid, but high school coaches extremely underpaid most of the time. Um, so to wrap up this episode of the NES experience, we are our segment reoccurring segment, our question of the week for this week. Our question is when, you know, slash how, uh, we've kind of edited the question. Originally the question is how often are you supposed to weigh yourself? But also when, like what time of day should you weigh yourself? So before we talk about weight, I want to talk about what's the real best way to monitor your fitness levels and body composition. And it is not the scale. The scale is only one measurable. The problem is not everybody can walk into NES and get their body fat percentage done, but you can go into gyms and shit. They'll probably do it for free if you pay them enough money and sign up for a membership and shit and whatever, pay them 75 bucks. They're not going to generally do it the right way, but body comp. So skin full caliper tests, the best way to measure what the hell you're doing is, you know, getting, getting it measured, not by the scales that do bioelectrical impedance where you step on, Hey man, if you got a scale that step, you step on it. And then in like 17 seconds, it spits out a number unless it's like $10,000, not a thousand, $10,000. You have wasted your money and it's not accurate. So I don't mean to piss in the Cheerios of the people with their scales that measure body fat, get on that bitch again, like drink a bottle of water and get on it and you'll get a different number and don't eat for a day and you'll get a different number. And those aren't accurate. You have to go to a real human facility that knows how to measure body fat. You get lean mass, fat mass, body fat percentage. Then we create a plan to lose weight or lose fat, gain lean mass. You, if you gain seven pounds of lean mass and you lose seven pounds of fat mass, do you know what the scale will say? The exact damn same thing that, it did, you know, before you did that. So what it doesn't do is it doesn't work into account all these things. But that's not our current situation. The current situation is, and question was about the scale. Don't weigh yourself every day. Um, it creates, depending on who you are, typically if you need to get on the scale every day, you are either overweight or underweight. Nobody with the perfect body, I mean, I guess they get on there too, but... Um, but when you work in all the psychological issues that people have, you could have somebody with the perfect body that feels they're overweight or underweight. There's so much variability. I have athletes that on a, from a day, from a morning to night perspective can have a six pound variance in what their weight is. So weighing in every day basically is an emotional roller coaster. So if you're a weight gain guy, so you're a skinny guy that needs to gain weight, you weigh in every day. And you see the number, it's like, how on earth? I ate 5,000 calories, but I lost 0.5 pounds. This doesn't, and psychologically, it can mess you up. And if you are a larger individual that is trying to lose weight and you get on the scale every week, or I'm sorry, every day, it is it can psychologically fuck you up because you, I don't understand. I did 50 minutes of cardio and I lifted five days, or I lifted today and I ate um, chicken and, and carrot sticks and a whole bunch of stuff that has zero flavor and I had zero salt and I'm up 0.2 pounds. And then and how could that happen? And you get frustrated and it, it turns into this psychological thing where you're more likely to realize 
And then you could, let's say you do this four days in a row. And it's like, why am I even doing this? I'm trying to gain weight and I, I weighed in every day. And I've lost a half a pound in the past four days and I'm working this hard. Why am I even doing it? You're more likely to quit. Okay. And if you're beefy and you don't get the number that you want for, I did cardio for four. I mean, this is more my category. I mean, I did cardio for four days in a row and I ate perfectly and I'm the same weight. Why am I even doing this? And then you're, you relapse and then you go to McDonald's, smash two Big Macs, a large fry, two apple pies, quick two G's in. And then that's what's going to make you gain the weight. So it can throw your path off and your, your, then your mind's not right. And, it's gonna, and it can increase the chance. Now, if you know yourself better than anybody and you're so logical when it comes to the scale, and I have a small percentage of people, a very small percentage of people can weigh in every day and just understand that that's a number and they understand that there's going to be fluctuations between how much you know shit is in your intestines and what your hydration levels are and, and all these different variables that come into this mythical scale weight. But the people that I'm talking to, honestly, most of them aren't like that. And if you're 100% fine with your weight, but what if you're in the path of gaining or losing weight, we do it once a week. And literally every week that I do that, I have a conversation with the athlete to reinforce that we're not even overreacting to this week's weigh-in because weight, general weight measurements don't become accurate for really a three to a four-week period. So really, once a month is when you're going to get accurate readings. The problem is what the scale can do is it can give you a reality check and continue to work towards your goals and track progress. So you want to weigh in once a week. You want to do it at the same time. You want to try and eat the same breakfast or not breakfast. Some people get up in the morning in-house. I want everybody to get on my scale, exact same position and do it. That gives me the best accuracy. If you're at home, hopefully you bought the best $37 scale because most scales are, you could pay $800 for a scaling and be accurate. It's all about getting an electronic one where you put it in the same position, make sure the floors are level, everything, don't move it. But, and then you're going to get an accurate number. Um, but cause people like to do it in the morning. So when's the best time? If you could do it in the morning with no clothes on and rock out and get it, that's going to be because doing it at different part times of the day, you're going to be heaviest at night. If I'm a weight loss guy, damn, you damn know that I'm trying to do that in the morning. Let me take a big pee first and, and maybe a deuce. And then I'm going to take it and that's in your, in your money. But if you're skinny guy, nothing worse than getting up in the morning with no clothes on and, and no, you know, food in your, you want to pick the same time. So I'm fine with the weight gain guy. If he's generally eating the same thing every day. Um, so weight loss guys, you're going to get your, obviously your best number in the morning after you get rid of everything that you need to get rid of weight gain guys weekly later in the day because and then you're saying well Ned that's not an accurate reading because they're eating well then they were playing the game at five o'clock at night like that's the food that's in their stomach and the important thing is we're doing the same thing and eating the same amount at the same time every day so whether you are a filled up 200 or an empty 198 I mean or 197 
the number, the reliability is going to be better because you're at, you're just you're whether you, whatever you think of it as units. With with a full stomach, I'm 200 units. With an empty stomach, I'm 197 units. I want to go to 220 units. I want to gain 20 units. It doesn't matter if your stomach is full or your stomach is empty. What what matters is is that every time you do it, it's done the same way. Yeah, that makes sense. Consistency is key. Um, I, I learned that phrase from a lady who escaped an insane asylum. So, but she was right. Consistency is key. And that's actually not a made up story. Even if you're insane. Yep. Yeah. No, that's, I think the way you get your sanity back actually. Um, but that's going to do it for this episode of the NES experience. Uh, we appreciate you tuning in and taking the time to listen. We hope you're back with us in two weeks and coming up soon. I believe we're recording it. February 18th, we will have a NES athlete uh, interview podcast kind of style. I don't know if it's really going to be an interview. We will have to discuss that a little bit more in detail, but with uh, Dickie, a.k.a. Nikki Kuja. So keep an eye out for that, and we'll see you guys in two weeks.